Welcome to another episode of In Reserve, the Prosperity Podcast, where we focus on all things to do with the Reserve Protocol stablecoin. My name is Michael, and I'll be your host. Are you ready? Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, we've got a close personal member of the Reserve community, somebody who actually was a player on a basketball team I coached a couple of years ago, and now proud to call friend, Finn Caroline from Paramount Bets. Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to join me on the podcast, Finn. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. Just a little briefer on what this podcast is about. I started it in hopes to build community as well as help people and myself learn and understand this project more. And part of community building was getting to know some of the bigger members of the reserve space better and getting to know them a bit outside of crypto. So with that in mind, I think a great starting point would be getting to know you better. If you'd like to give the listeners just a super quick introduction about yourself for those who don't already know you, and we can kind of go from there. Sweet. Yeah, no. Um, so I'm Finn. I'm 18. And I got into crypto um, around 2019, but I'll, I'll dive more into that in a bit. But just right now, I'm at Douglas College. I'm taking a business, a bachelor's of business management. And currently, I'm just studying different tools that I find valuable, especially like along with marketing and digital analytics. And I think that kind of shifted me towards the digital asset space with just, just like the thought in mind of innovation. So I'm pretty fascinated by numbers, whether it be on an Excel spreadsheet, whether it's to do with, you know, a market cap of a coin, anything, uh, numbers you know, seem to fascinate me. So I feel like a lot of what I do has a purpose and it all has a main goal of just trying to be successful in whatever I do. Um, as for my like long-term plans, what I hope to do is just graduate from school with a marketing degree, um, despite me being in management, but I'm looking to shift into the digital space, you know, whether it's an e-commerce business, whether it's a online service, but I am fascinated and kind of drawn towards the online space. So that's kind of where I'm heading at for myself personally right now. And that's kind of like a bit about my background, as well as I played basketball for Mike in, I think it was 20, 2019. So yeah, that's also, that's how I met Mike. So that was awesome. And yeah, I think that's that's pretty much as, as much as, as deep as I can go about myself. That's a, that's a great background actually. Um, and, and you were always a, a great and very mature kid on the team, one of the more mature kids in high school. Um, and, and obviously it's showing right now with some of the work you're doing uh, in terms of creating content in the crypto space. Um, in terms yeah. of uh, you studying business uh, at Douglas College, which is a, a local college in the Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada area, um, yeah. what, what, drawn you, what drew you into business? Was that always kind of a passion of yours? Uh, going through high school? Uh, were you ever interested in sciences or arts or, or kind of what led you to that direction? Yeah, great question. So um, a little, another little thing about me is that I started working at a Tim Hortons coffee chain when I was 12. So I, I was in, I was in there working 5am, 6am morning shifts whilst most of my friends were still asleep until 10. I remember back in those years, I had a lot of jealousy, but, uh, my dad always told me that it was going to work out and that uh, working when I was super young, like 12, 13, it was going to pay off in the long run. And I got to give it to him. He was absolutely right. So I think uh, my business oriented mindset really stemmed from my parents and their business. Um, for anybody who's listening, you know, outside of Canada or the United States, um, Tim Hortons is, you know, Canada's go to coffee brand. 
it's you know second to or it's competitors with starbucks but it's probably i would say canada's most notorious coffee brand so um thankfully my parents are in that space and i've had a lot of opportunity to kind of learn about not only the service industry whether that be for you know coffee and tea but also had the opportunity to kind of experience that next level of whether it's corporate or management with different seminars. I've been to Florida. I've been to the island. I'm going to be going more. I think I'm going to Ontario in the next coming years to learn more about Tim Hortons brand. But that's definitely where my business mindset stems from, definitely from my parents. That's that's really awesome. And uh, it's funny because back in those days, obviously, we're all young and mature teenagers and, and wanting to go outside and play and, and not listening to our parents and not really understanding until we're much older that they're basically telling us what's good for us and, and they've got our best interests in mind. Um, and, and, and hopefully that all plays out properly, but obviously we don't realize that in the moment. And, and for somebody like yeah. you, that's fantastic that you were able to kind of stick to that regardless of how big the other temptations might've been and, and to see it be fruitful for, for you right now and, and hopefully in the future. Uh, do you still yeah. currently work at Tim Hortons? Actually, during the pandemic, I, I've stopped. So since of March, March of last year, I've, I've stopped. Okay. Uh, no, yeah, I guess you're just uh, at home right now. And are you actually at school or is that just online courses right now? Nope, just, uh, just online courses. So everything I do for school is through Zoom. And I guess this is your first or second year? Second year? Is it second um, year? Yeah, I'm, I'm finishing up my second year. So after this summer semester, I'll be going into my third year. So did you ever have an opportunity to actually be at school, like in-person classes in college yet? Yeah, um, my first my first two semesters at school, I was able to uh, actually be on campus, which was actually really nice. So yeah, I was, okay, actually, action before getting locked away. <laughs> yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. Uh, what has that adjustment been like? Um, and it's good that you've had a little bit of experience, especially with the first couple semesters, because um, as most people say, and as you could probably attest to, the jump from high school to college university is significantly different in terms of handholding, right? In, in high school, um, if you don't do your homework, you're getting in trouble by, by the teacher and you're kind of constantly having your hand held through these courses and making sure that you're staying on track. In college or university, yeah. nobody really cares about you except for yourself. You're the only person looking out for yourself. If you don't show up to class, if you don't fill out these assignments or you don't complete these assignments, nobody really cares except for yourself. Um, how has that adjustment been? And has it been much harder to take these courses online? Um, yeah, great question. So in high school, I always believed that your work was a reflection of you. So whether your assignment was, you know, worth 5% or whether it was worth 20%, I wanted to do the best I could because if I didn't want to do the best I could, then what's the point of being there? So I kind of shifted that mentality over to college. So I didn't I didn't feel like I was uh, at a disadvantage at all, especially thanks to the teachers at STM. A lot of them kept it real before graduating. Like, you know, no one's going to hold your hand next year. Don't expect this and this and this. And, and they were completely right. So I feel like when the transition from high school to college wasn't as difficult as some people made it out to be. But I think that was also thanks to my work ethic and just like my overall dedication to wanting to do well. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and I think it's, uh, it's pretty cool. As I mentioned earlier, um, your maturity level is kind of far beyond your years. And, uh, and that's obviously helped with your transition from high school to, to college. Uh, but in terms yeah. of that difference, uh, being in there, I guess, in the classroom versus online, yeah. 
um, there's obviously got to be a lot of differences, right? The inability to really connect with some of your peers um, in the classroom uh, and build those relationships and those friendships, um, maybe perhaps even learning the material from the uh, professors or teachers. Um, has that been a, a bit more difficult for you? And have you um, been able to adjust to that? Uh, and are you eager to get back into the classroom? Yeah, so uh, I'll just start with uh, how difficult it is. It so to to me personally, uh, as long as the, the as long as like the course structure is laid out um, clearly online, as long as the framework and you know what our roadmap is going to be, as long as that's laid out clearly, it's easy to follow. Um, I would say the only difficulties I've experienced in online learning is perhaps like just a diff change in interest from the teacher, meaning um, the teacher does you know, presents himself online or presents the course material in a certain way that is not easy to follow. And in that case, uh, online school has or would be hard. Um, however, for the most case at Douglas, especially there's like student portals where everything is laid out perfectly. So I don't, I, I to be completely honest with you, I've been, I mean, we've been doing this online school now for, I, I did it the first summer semester we were in quarantine i did it last semester i've done it this semester so i'm already in my third semester of doing online school so it really at this point is just kind of become an everyday thing um to be honest with you but in terms of sorry what was the follow-up question with that How i think uh, are you eager room? are you eager to get back into the classroom oh eager to get back in. for sure um i mean with the online school it's because we talked about how how it is like connecting with peers online i would argue even saying that it's almost a bit easier like connecting with peers online because you kind of have that wall knocked down of, you know, social anxiety or like, you know, I don't really get that myself. I'm, I like it. I enjoy public speaking and, and such, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of easy to drop a message in a chat box or something like that, opposed to actually approach somebody in the classroom and say, Hey, you know, um, what do you think of this question? Especially when it comes into small breakout groups and et cetera, the teachers do have made a strong effort in trying to connect uh, us with our peers at college. So, I mean, I got to do, you know, give them credit where it's due. They definitely have been trying to do that. It's not easy and not everybody likes it, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to get back into the classroom because it, it is it is nice to be, you know, around other people, but I'm, I'm prepared to do that when I, you know, I don't have to worry about COVID or anything like that. So I'm, I'm content where I am for right now, to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah, that's a, and that's a fair point too, with regards to teachers and professors trying to make that adjustment as well, because obviously, um, they've never been through any training to, to learn about this uh, situations like this. And they're also of an older generation that doesn't handle as much online stuff and social media. So they're not as good with technology as uh, guys in the younger generation like yourself. Um, so it's obviously been an adjustment for, for everybody. Um, and, and that's also another, another point that brings me back to another point where whenever I got scared of, of doing stuff in class, I would always remind myself that it wasn't necessarily me versus the course material as much as it was me versus everybody else in the classroom. And I always reminded myself whenever things got super tough or I didn't quite understand it, that as long as I understood more than what everybody else understood, the teacher couldn't fail every one of us in the class, right? Everything is generally marked on a bell curve. You're not going to have a class average at the end of the semester of 45%. It's just not the reality. Even if that is the class average of the first midterm, that's not going to be what the class average is at the very end. So it was basically just a more so a competition against your peers and making sure that you understood the content more than everybody else. And, and that would kind of generally get you a higher mark. So um, I definitely do agree with that. Obviously, I've got no experience 
uh, going to classes uh, in the current conditions of, of doing it online. And I can only imagine um, some of the different barriers and challenges that some people may have and, and some advantages that others may have more than, uh, more than other people, right? I mean, some people don't have the opportunity. Maybe their home life is definitely different from, from others and they don't have that quiet and serenity of a, of a separate room to be able to study and focus. Um, some people may have families. Uh, they may be entering college at, an, at a later stage in their life. And they're having to deal with that at, at home and, and having to raise children while they're doing these online courses. Whereas if they were in the classroom, there'd be a separation in that kind of different focus. Um, so there's definitely different challenges. And, uh, and, and obviously, as you had mentioned, hopefully um, we get a grasp uh, and a handle on COVID sooner rather than later. Although it feels like uh, <laughs> there's no real end in sight uh, with all these different mutations and variants, uh, but it'd be nice to have life back to normal. Um, uh, I yeah. guess kind of transitioning to something else. Uh, how did you yeah. get into crypto? Um, so you mentioned a bit about it at the start. Uh, maybe uh, if you could kind of explain how you got into it and, and what was the first thing you bought? Yeah, totally. So uh, I got into crypto, I want to say November of 2019, maybe plus plus minus a couple months, but it was roughly around then. Um, so um, I'll get more into it again. I know I said <clears throat> I've said that a couple of times, but I run the Paramount Bets channel with my best friend, Shrey. And so Shrey gave me a FaceTime call in, like, in last year, 2019, 20, yeah, around that time. And he said, uh, I found this thing, um, you know, you should, we should look to, you know, invest in it. And I was like, well, what is it? Is it a stock? And he told me, no, 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 it's a, it's a cryptocurrency. It's a, it's a digital currency. And I had only at that point, I'd only ever heard of Bitcoin. Um, as many people have, the only crypto they've ever heard of is Bitcoin or they, they know they've heard of it. They don't maybe necessarily know what it means. But um, so Shrey and I got talking, I you know asked him what it was about. And what we ended up talking about was XRP. And that's the, the, the coin distributed by Ripple and the centralized uh, decentralized coin to help bridge the financial gap between banks. And so I believe around November, December, I purchased my first ever like, crypto, which was XRP on Coinbase. And it was funny because I actually had to, I didn't have a credit card because another thing about me is that I'm, I'm always a year younger. So I graduated high school a year younger. I came into high school a year younger. Um, when I took my first college course, I was, I was still, I was just 17. And I was in class with people who were 30, 35. And, you know, people would just, you know, turn their heads. They're like, well, why are you here? And that's always a funny thing to talk about. But now that I'm 18, it's a bit more leveled out because there's other 18 year olds, which is nice. But yeah, so I, I couldn't buy crypto because I didn't have a credit card. So what I, what I had to do was I had to PayPal Shrey the X amount of dollars that I wanted to buy. And then Shrey bought it for me on his crypto card and then sent it to my Coinbase wallet. So that's kind of a funny uh, first time buying story for my crypto experience. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny. I had no idea. And I'm assuming Shrey uh, probably had a, a credit card that he could do so. Um, yeah. Is there a reason why you guys chose Coinbase? Or I guess uh, you just weren't familiar with all the different alternatives. Because there's obviously uh, a lot of people know Binance and there's some off-ramps and on-ramps to uh, Fiat, uh, to, to crypto that, that we know of in Canada, like, like the ShakePay and uh, a whole bunch of others. Yeah. Uh, is there a reason why you guys chose Coinbase? Because obviously you guys probably don't do the majority of your trading now on Coinbase. I'm assuming it's probably on Binance. Uh, what was yeah, the reason no, behind? No. Yeah, what was the reason behind Coinbase, and what did Shrey find so interesting about XRP? I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. Yeah, uh, 
two good questions. So we use Coinbase because um, we, we refer to Coinbase as the apple of crypto. Um, that meaning it isn't very complex on the front end. It's very user friendly and very, you know, um, anybody can buy crypto type of beat. Um, so I think that's what kind of drew us towards the app because it, it didn't look complex. It, you know, you have the you have the ticker, you have your payment method, easy, bam, it's two steps, you buy it. I think that was probably the sole reason that we bought on um, Coinbase, but it wasn't shortly after we realized how um, ridiculous the fees were. And we we immediately kind of just shifted right off the app or, you know, used it as little as possible. But basically um, how we how I purchase crypto now is um, I do it through e-transfer to Coinberry, which is a Toronto based exchange. And then I buy crypto on the Coinberry exchange and then I send it to Binance. Um, yeah, that's 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 how I buy crypto now, which is, in my opinion, is a lot better than Coin Coinbase. And how Shrey found XRP is a, it's a it's a great question. He uh, he was watching some YouTube videos about um, prospective investment opportunities for 2019, 2020, and just long term. And he saw some clickbaity video that said XRP to 10,000, or you know XRP can be the digital world reserve, or something something super clickbaity on YouTube. Anyways, he watched it and uh, he he didn't believe that you know he didn't believe in the ten thousand dollar price tag but he did he did believe in that it had a lot of value to it so i think that's kind of what drew him towards it not necessarily the the big flashy end goal of ten thousand but you know like just the, the nice incline or you know the nice uh nice ret um potential return that we could get from investing in it nice uh and do you guys uh, what are your current thoughts on xrp now that you've gotten more uh into crypto and do you guys still hold some of it yeah, no, um, me, uh, so actually, um, just to quickly add to the storyline, it was me, Shrey, and then there's four more of our friends, four more of our close buddies. So there's a small group of six of us who are all pretty like-minded, um, who all wanted to kind of get on the ship. We kind of, cause we all have this idea, right? Like, um, I think the saying goes, everybody eats or something. It's, it's like that. So, um, Shrey told all of us or told one of us and then anyways we all figured it out but basically um we still i've never sold an xrp ever i've only ever accumulated it and even still um we started buying it when it was 17 cents uh 22 cents 40 cents 57 cents it doesn't matter the price tag we always said as long as it was under a dollar buy as much as of it buy as much of it as you can and that kind of stems back to uh me working a lot when i was uh when i was 12 13 because I don't think if I if I didn't have that same opportunity to work, I don't think I would have had that same you know discretionary income and buying power that I did at my age now. So that's also why I'm just so thankful because that work experience earlier in my life gave me the opportunity to start and look to invest in crypto, and um, crypto's given me great returns. So I, I'm nothing but thankful for the entire community in the market overall. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a great point, and. Uh... Uh, that generally becomes a big differentiator, um, how you choose to spend your money when you're young. A lot of people will work and then they'll end up buying designer clothing or spending it on random stuff uh, just to impress their peers or whatever. And there are some people who kind of use it to uh, invest in things and to learn about uh, the finance world and investments and, and, and put it into kind of smarter things that then build wealth and equity. Um, that sets them up kind of later on in the future so that when they are 30, 40, 50 years old, they are able to afford those luxury goods without having to sacrifice too much. So 
um, it's definitely a great mindset to have, and it's putting you in the position you're currently in, um, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, how did you find out about Reserve and RSR? Yeah, so um, how I found out about Reserve, I, I, so I think the very first, I want to call it like a touch point um, in marketing. We have things where it's like attribution, where you see, like you're driving, you see it on a billboard, you go home, you see it on your phone, you know, you see it on a YouTube video ad, you just... It's like planting seeds in your brain. So I think the first seed I had planted in my brain was definitely John on Twitter. Um, as I, I'm sure a lot of RSR holders, it was. But um, I just for anybody referring a crypto god, John, who you had on the previous episodes. But um, I, I remember him posting a tweet saying, you know, this thing's only two cents. Um, it's going to go to at least 10 or it's going to go to a dollar or something like that. Something kind of clickbaity. But I was. I was I was intrigued by why it was cheap and what it did. So obviously if it was being I I wasn't so knowledgeable back then about crypto Twitter and how just everybody shills what they want what they're already buying. I wasn't under that. I did I was I was kind of naive in that point. I was like, "Oh, maybe he's, you know, shilling a really good project." And in this case, he was shilling a really good project, but that's not always the case on Twitter. But um, after he talked about it, what I did was I looked on looked for it on Binance. I saw it on Binance. And then before buying it, I did a I did a quick review and analysis of just like what they do. I watched a few YouTube videos about it as well, but I was super drawn to the project. And in grade 12, my grade 12 economics class, my teacher talked about hyperinflation and he gave the example of Venezuela. And I remember when being on the website and reading about how they are combating hyperinflation in Venezuela, I was like, well, this is the perfect textbook case of I have a problem and I have a solution. And that's in the business world that often works. And I, 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 that was the day that I decided that I wanted to start, you know, accumulating RSR. That's, uh, that's really awesome. And I mean, that's exactly how I found out about the project as well uh, through Crypto God John, um, who, as you mentioned, I was fortunate to have uh, to, to have on the podcast. Um, yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. I think it's a great project. And, and like you said, inflation in Venezuela, uh, is kind of really sad to the point where they've got, they're printing million dollar or I guess million boulevard bills and people are making purses out of uh, fiat currency there because it's just so worthless. They're making purses out of it to sell at, at, at night markets and street markets um, for USD so that they are able to try to try to save money um, for that purpose, which is really sad. Um, and, and I really do agree that projects like this are, are really cool. Obviously, the first thing we have in mind whenever we invest is always to make money, but it's always a positive whenever that making money also coincides with helping somebody else in the world uh, with and, and fixing these problems that other people in other parts of the world are having. Um, so that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of news that has happened since the last time I had a podcast, uh, including uh, with the biggest one uh, being the app opening up to everybody, uh, I guess everybody in Venezuela in March, and it actually now hitting, um, I believe it was number one in the finance category on the Google Play Store uh, in terms of apps. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the, the current news that has come out uh, for Reserve and, and how, uh, I guess, receptive people have been in Venezuela um, and downloading the app and using it? Yeah, totally. So, um, I, I, I also saw the screenshot, I don't think it was circulating on Twitter of Reserve being the number one app. And I remember as soon as I saw that, I, I think I went and bought like another uh, few thousand tokens or whatever I had in my wallet because I was just like, oh man, this, like, this, is the start of, this is the start of them really being able to start their project. But 
Um, as for what is currently going on with Reserve, I recently just saw a video. I know, I know she's um, she's a part of the RSR community. I don't want to get her name wrong. I believe it's Sweet Sinner or RSR N something. Um, and she's always really active in the community. But um, she posted this video about um, this couple in Venezuela um, feeding this entire community of people, and it would like the line just kept going. I couldn't. The video was about like 15 seconds, but the line for who they were feeding, it just didn't end. And they were feeding kids, they were feeding uh, parents, they were feeding uh, grandparents, they were feeding ev anybody and everybody that they could. And that kind of just shifted my mindset entirely, just going back to what you said previously about it, obviously investing in crypto, it's um, people are there for the returns, but when you can get the returns and also feel slightly better about yourself, about you know putting your money into something that actually is changing something for the better, that I think that really makes all the difference. Um, as for the reserve news recently, I actually haven't I haven't kept up with uh, it much more than I know that they became the number one finance app in Venezuela. I saw that I saw that screenshot. But yeah, yeah. Yes. Sorry, uh, I was I was on mute there. So I was trying to unmute myself in time. Uh, that that that's a great, uh, absolutely great reference, and um, actually something that I had totally forgotten about. Uh, and it's one of the strengths of blockchain. And if you don't know what uh, what Finn is talking about, there was a video of a person in Venezuela essentially asking for, for money as a fundraiser. And there's been multiples of these actually, uh, some to fund a, a family member's surgery uh, because it's very much needed or some to, to kind of pay for food and supplies for some of these poor people in Venezuela. And yeah. uh, the RSR community has been absolutely fantastic. RSR Rangers in helping fund some of these uh, fundraisers. Obviously with some of them, you're not too sure. Um, but but there's a, been a lot of video and, and, and support and, and documentation to prove that these are real projects and they are helping real people. Um, and that is yeah. one of the benefits actually that, that I see in blockchain, not just RSR itself, um, but the ability to uh, raise, raise funds for charities and fundraisers and whatnot. And for people who donate to know exactly how that money is being used, uh, because blockchain allows the ability for us to track the transactions. Whereas right now you donate to, I don't know, your favorite charity or whatever, and you just trust that what they report in terms of their, I don't know, 90% of money is going to the cause and 10% is going to administrative fees. That's basically just trust in them reporting that number being accurate. But if you actually donate through a blockchain, you're able to see where they use that fund, they, where they use that money, and and if it's being directed to the actual cause itself. So, um, it makes it very transparent, and uh, and I think it's a very big benefit um, that charities will start to take advantage of going forward, uh, because obviously the more transparent they are with where their funds are actually going, the more likely somebody is to actually donate to that cause. Um, so that's a very good point. I don't know if you saw another video um, that circulated and i think uh nevin actually had posted it too on his ama or his quarterly q1 quarterly update um it was a video of a user of uh of rsv i guess the reserve app at a department store and um and so what they did was they scanned the barcode of uh of the department store i guess on the screen and they were able to transfer funds to pay for their purchase in a matter of seconds uh, did you ever get a chance to watch that video no, I ha I never got to see that. That's that sounds awesome though. I'm just I'm just quickly uh, seeing if I can find it on Twitter. No, not by looks of it. 
you could probably, yeah, I could probably send it to you after this, but it was actually yeah. incredible. The, uh, the speed and, and the, and the user friendliness of, of the forward facing, I guess the customer facing app. And, and it goes to kind of what you said earlier with Coinbase uh, and it being the Apple um, this app, even though it's on the Google play store and they don't have an iOS version of it yet uh, was very, very user-friendly. It was very easy to use uh, just a couple buttons to press and, uh, and then voila, it kind of sent money over and you were done with it. Um, now, obviously, it's still centralized right now in terms of the back end and transaction processing, and they're hoping to launch mainnet. They still say that they're on track for, uh, for before the end of the year, so in Q4. Um, I'm a little skeptical of when that's going to be, uh, but I hope that they're able to keep this transaction speed, and it is one of their main emphasis um, when they were trying to build this app. So it's obviously really cool yeah. to see it in use. And I think me along <laughs> with a whole bunch of other people actually ended up buying more RSR the second we saw the video of this in use because we were just blown away by how easy it was and how seamless and and, and the great work that the team is doing. And obviously you hear a lot about it and uh, they're at times not very transparent with what they're doing. Um, and they've given the reason because they want to try to uh, get as much of a head start as possible in the market before they release as much data out to the public and competitors are able to catch on and, and try to catch up. Um, but it's really cool to actually see it in use by somebody down there um, and to see how fast that is. So it's very promising um, for, for the future of this project. And I'm sure that when you watch the video, you'll probably end up buying more RSR as well. Um, in terms of the price movement recently, obviously we've seen a huge fluctuation of price uh, including the, uh, the milestone of eight cents, which there was an eight cent mile shirt. Um, for those of you guys following on Twitter, uh, RSR friend who is fuzzy snoot, who is actually off on an RV now, um, traveling around, uh, the United States, as he actually mentioned on the first ever podcast, uh, that I did. Um, he was the first ever guest I had. Uh, so he's actually currently traveling around the United States in his newly renovated RV, uh, living off strong tokens and, and RSR. Um, but he actually made a shirt um, of all these movies uh, for every cent milestone that we hit. And for eight, it was eight cent mile or eight mile. And it was uh, uh, me, Ern Ernie, I guess, Ernie from Sesame Street um, in, in the place of, of Eminem in the, in the movies. So I actually have that shirt because he put the shirt on sale uh, on his uh, on his RSR store or his reserve store, as well as a lot of you guys listening out there. It's been really cool to see you guys DM me and to also tweet at me, um, you guys wearing the shirt, which is very cool, including Sweet Sinner. Um, uh, so it's been very, very cool. But we've seen the price go from, I think it was like six cents. It hit like 11 cents and almost got to 12, I believe. And then now currently, as of the recording of this podcast on April 25th, it's at about seven and a half cents with the dip uh, in the whole crypto space. Um, what has been your thoughts on, on the price movement and where do you see it uh, kind of going in the future? Yeah, so I, I think, um, so I, I'll be completely transparent and I know the RSR Rangers might tear me up for this, but um, my dedication, so I never, when I first bought RSR, I don't know, I just didn't have the scope of it being a long-term bag, which sounds ridiculous because it's a long-term project and that changed quickly. But when I first purchased it, it whatever three three five cents or two it was like two nine or something something pretty nuts i uh i didn't i ended up selling it at like six i don't know i think i doubled it and i sold it and i think that was one of my biggest mistakes just selling it um and i remember you know just having to try and buy back in and i was trying to buy back in lower and then i would just buy back in higher 
And um, so as for what I've taught myself is anything under 10 cents. Um, I know if you bought it one, it's better than nine. But to me, anything under 10 cents, it's all the same. So um, I think right now it's a great accumulation phase. And then as soon as it breaks that 10 cents and it likes to wants to fly, um, I'll just probably watch my portfolio um, grow a little bit. I don't know if I'll add so much. But as for my long-term price prediction, I remember reading on the RSR, uh, the reserve website, that it was going to be 12 cents by the end of April. And it hit 11 cents. So, I mean, they're pretty accurate. They're pretty, we're pretty close. I think what I uh, hit 11, 11, 8, 9, 9. I'm looking at the chart right now. But um, as for my long-term price prediction, um, I want to see maybe 20, 30 cents before maybe September. Um, I think that's a pretty reasonable um, goal, especially with how much the app is rolling out. And if it doesn't get that high, then that's, that's okay. But I think it's a little hopium for everybody that I think it definitely is a two to three times is definitely around the corner for this token. That, that's a very, very great price prediction and kind of in line with what I've been uh, projecting since the start of this year, uh, late last yeah. year. Um, I think uh, the high, the I guess the all-time high um, that will hit this year will be somewhere around 25 cents. And then I think um, there'll be more of an accumulation phase, uh, especially once mainnet comes out and some of the investor early investor tokens are unlocked. And I think uh, ultimately at the end of this year on December 31st will be around 10 cents. Um, but I do agree that anywhere now is still a great accumulation phase. And I think uh, this project is nothing but up in 2022. Um, and I'm more hopeful. Uh, I don't really look at price as much. I'm more hopeful in terms of progress, real life progress that we see in Venezuela and stuff like the app being the number one app on the finance store shows a huge um, demand for the product for something like this in, in that market. And now it's up to the team to execute and fulfill that, that need, um, which they seem to be doing so far. And obviously it's going to take time um, and there's going to be a lot of roadblocks and obstacles and setbacks along the way as is natural with literally anything in life and any project that that comes about um but but i do see uh, a lot of promise and i think that um a lot of us who have invested early like you had mentioned whether it was one cent whether it's two cents whether it's five cents whether it's right now you're still very early i think exactly this this is actually playing out along those lines um, of everybody who who invested in the project by reading the white paper and truly believing in the concept and not just reading some hopium on, on Twitter about it being uh, $1 soon and then being frustrated that it's not currently $1 right now. I yeah. think this is kind of going along those lines and it's hitting all of those checkpoints along the way. And, uh, and it, it's a testament to the team that, that they're able to execute um, with such a small bare bones structure and very limited resources. But now obviously we're seeing that they're needing to uh, hire a lot more people, especially in their customer service department in order to scale that customer support as they have more users using the app, which is only natural because obviously for those of us who have cell phones and whatnot, um, the amount of times people call their cell phone provider and network internet network providers asking for support on a hotline is, is limitless. Um, so they're going to have that, have that need and they're going to need to hire more people to address that. Um, but I think uh, we're both in line in that we're very optimistic, but also at the same time, very realistic of, of our expectations of, of price prediction and what the project's going to look like in the near future. Now, I obviously believe in, in the future, future, a couple of years from now, there is a chance that this thing does hit a dollar. Um, but I think it's going to be a gradual process along the way. And I'm very excited to see how it plays out. Um, in terms of not just price, uh, what do you see for the future of this project? Do you think 
that they're going to be able to fulfill that need in Venezuela, as well as being able to branch to other other places. Obviously, right now they're currently in Argentina and Colombia, and they've gotten uh, they've actually said they've gotten a lot of interest in uh, places. I think it was like uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but somewhere in the Middle East. Um, so do you think they're going to be able to do some type of model, like an Uber model, where they start in one city and then kind of are able to branch that model out to different places around the world? Yeah, I, I do. Um, and I think right now, um, especially right now, I think how it's kind of playing out for the rest of the world and the rest of the countries is maybe um, these countries that are also not experiencing necessarily the same degree of what's going on in Venezuela, but they do have a problem. Um, they're kind of, I think they're watching closely at how a reserve is playing out in Venezuela to, to you know, make their next move and maybe um, incorporating RSR reserve into their everyday life. Because I, I find it hard to believe that if reserve is a success in Venezuela, that other countries with similar or less severe problems aren't going to want the same, you know, um, uh, like just the same problem solved, I guess, because what reserve is doing is that they're they're giving people a chance to feel free and just a chance to live life again i mean nothing i could think of nothing worse than uh, i heard a story in venezuela where a woman went to pay for her groceries and when when she had she had brought the right amount of money in with her that she needed to purchase them by the time she got to the checkout and wanted to purchase the items the dollar had lost already more value so she already needed more money but she had already brought in a full purse full of worthless bills anyways so i really think that um you just it's kind of just goes back to what like the reserve white paper is and what um nevin kind of late has laid out i think if you just really stick to it and it's hard in crypto because um, in crypto, you can see people on Twitter, they're making millions, they're making, uh, you know, they're making these crazy futures calls, they're making these crazy um, Binance smart chain um, spot calls and making tons of money. But I really think that making that money, that type of money is temporary. But I find that investing in a really uh, strongly fundamental project with not only um, strong workers, like like a Nevin himself um, with a strong roadmap, but just the fact that they have people already in Venezuela um, means a lot to me, especially because it, it doesn't it doesn't mean that they're just saying it. They're actually doing it. And I think as they do it more, um, I think more countries will adopt reserve, no doubt. Awesome. Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I agree with your sentiment, as I stated earlier. Uh, are th is yeah. there anything else that you wanted to bring up with regards to reserve or RSR before we move on? Um. I don't know if any of my friends are going to listen to this. I, I've tried to tell them to buy it a few times, but hopefully after being on this podcast, they'll really consider it. Awesome. But awesome. That's and, and, and we are right now, as you stated in the accumulation phase, anything under 10 cents. So uh, I think with this yeah. recent dip, it's, it's definitely a good opportunity to uh, not necessarily go all in if you're first starting or if you're looking to buy some more, but obviously a great opportunity to start dollar cost averaging your way into the market. And that's generally going to be the best way. You're never going to get the very bottom and you're never going to sell the very top. Uh, but if you yeah. start buying little bits at a time, at a time over a certain period of time, um, obviously it's going to be best and time in the market is always going to be better than timing the market. So uh, a great opportunity uh, for anybody uh, to, to start getting into not just reserve and RSR right now, but for literally anything across the board, I think it's a great time to, to start dollar cost averaging. All right. Uh, before we move on to the second half of our podcast, first a word from our sponsor recursive. 
If you would like to sync data between applications, Recursive can seamlessly connect any apps, giving your data more value. Your company and your customers can benefit from you having important information in the right place at the right time. Visit recursive.com, R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com. And don't forget to mention this podcast for 20% off of your subscription. Also, our second sponsor, Joe and Kit. If you're an entrepreneur or small business looking to outsource your bookkeeping or need help understanding your financial situation, we've got just a solution for you. Visit joeandkit.com today, J-O-E-A-N-D-K-I-T.com. All right, back to the podcast. And the second half of our podcast is actually um, going to start with a little bit of fun. Um, this seems to be a big frustration in the Discord channel that I run and something that I see on Twitter a lot is that people are very frustrated with how slow um, RSR price moves. And with that, one of the bigger channels that's kind of blown up in our Discord um, is our altcoin channel. And this is where we kind of, uh, obviously RSR is still the main priority for all of us there and, and the biggest investment we have. Uh, but at the same time, while we kind of uh, wait for it to slowly grow over time, and a lot of us are optimistic in the three to five year goal, uh, we play with these little other alts on the side with about 10 or 20% of our bag, just so we kind of uh, distract ourselves while we wait for RSR. And, and from that, we found a lot of kind of good projects to invest in um, and some not so great projects. Uh, and it's kind of led to uh, another channel, a spinoff called DGen, which is a uh, which is a lot of a lot of crazier projects before they're even listed on CoinGecko or whatever um, that, that are very hard to find. And a lot of them are rug pulls, but some of them go 10x in a day or whatever. It's, it's just my mind is blown. Uh, but obviously, there's little fun things to do on the side while we wait for more progress from, from Reserve and RSR. And with that, Finn, I know that you do a lot of research on some of these other alts for Paramount Bets, which, uh, again, we'll touch on in a bit. Uh, but what are some of the alts that you are optimistic about and that you've been paying attention to? Yeah, totally. So I've done a small list here. Let me, uh, so the th I, I have four, but I'll only talk about as many as I need to. But I, uh, the, the ones that I wrote down was XRP. Uh, obviously, that's a bias one. BNB, uh, uh, Bake. And my last one was VeChain. Those are the four that I, I chose. And uh, the reason being was um, the reason I'm like, just, I, I don't want to, the XRP community on Twitter is um, it's an interesting community there. You know, it's, it seems to be XRP community versus everybody. So I don't necessarily say to an extent that I'm that, um, that, in, you know, uh, indulged in the project uh, to that extent, but I really do believe that the, the fast transaction time. So they have, they do 16,000 transactions per second. Uh, they have a super, uh, super cheap transaction fee. Um, and it's uh, just I just recently saw the stat that it's 57,000 more uh, 57,000 times more environmentally friendly than Bitcoin. So that means just, you know, with Bitcoin mining and how much energy that consumes worldwide and how uh, Ripple XRP, you know, goes up against that. Um, just moving into the next one, BNB. The reason I chose BNB um, was because of a couple reasons. So there's the BNB staking pool as well as. Um, on Binance, you can use BNB for 50% off your fees, which I think is not. And I think uh, the way that CZ um, set up BNB was really smart. How he has BNB on the first page of Binance, how he encourages people to use BNB to cut on the fees, um, how you can stake BNB and get other tokens back. I think the way that he um, positioned that token on Binance, um, it was 
it was ready to succeed from day one. And I, for me personally, it was one of my biggest mistakes not acknowledging that earlier because when I first joined crypto, it was $30 and now I'm logging on to Binance and it's uh, $550. So there's definitely a big difference in the price now. Um, and it's always easy to say, oh, I should have bought that. But I do believe BNB is honestly a really strong token that um, will shadow Bitcoin and Ether for as long as the crypto market survives pretty what much. Is, what is BNB, by the way? Um, like what kind of coin is it or yeah, yeah. What, what, what does it do? Or like, what, like, what is it? Uh, so it's a token. It, it, so the way that BNB works and all the exchange tokens work is, um, basically to my knowledge is that an exchange token will go up in value the more that the exchange is used. So, um, that means like I was saying about how you can use BNB to reduce your fees. It means that it incentivizes people to hold BNB and buy BNB because there's other benefits to using Binance with BNB than um, using USDT or USDC or whatever stable coin you prefer. Um, and BNB isn't even a stable coin. It's a, it's a regular trading alt. And it, I believe it, it was third. It was briefly third in the market cap when it hit $638, but I'm pretty sure it got uh, bumped down a couple. So I think it's fifth currently. But I think just, um, have you seen the BNB staking? Have you seen that before? I have not. I, I've just seen BNB obviously all over the cover of finance and yeah. uh, the ability to always convert all of your small balances to BNB, which then supposedly somehow saves you uh, futures trading costs. Uh, I, I've done mm -hmm. that in the past, not really understanding how it works, but hopefully, uh, obviously I've got a lot of coins there that are sitting with like 20 cents, 10 cents, and you can't really do anything with it. So I choose to convert it to BNB and hopefully it saves me some some transaction costs. I have no idea how it works, uh, but that's basically yeah. the extent of my knowledge to, of, of BNB. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was just doing research the other day about BNB because um, one of my one of my close friends they bought SafeMoon and they made they they got in super early and they made a ton of money, but they weren't very experienced in the crypto space. So they were wondering how they changed their money or what how they should change their money out of SafeMoon to uh, another coin. And they were using PancakeSwap. So PancakeSwap is another DEX and another AMM, which is an automa uh, automated market maker, which is a spinoff of Binance and the Binance Smart Chain. And so um, to use BakerySwap, you need to use BNB tokens. So my friend, they put $100 into SafeMoon, and I think they now have like 4K in BNB, which is just ridiculous. I'm just sitting over here grinding my teeth about not putting money into SafeMoon, but that, that's for another time. But um, I think the coolest thing about BNB for me personally is the fact that you can stake BNB and Binance rewards you with other coins. Like, I think that's a really cool idea. Like you could, cause in that, in that theory, you don't need to buy any other token. You can um, diversify your spot portfolio by getting the different terms that um, the staking rewards give you. So like, I think it's like every month to two months to three months, they change over the tokens that they give as rewards. And so all you have to do is you just stake away your BNB, whether it's, you know, one token or 10 tokens or 100 tokens. And in return, you get a percentage back in um, dividends, which are other tokens of other projects. So it, I, I honestly think BNB is a super, um, you know, undervalued. I, I wouldn't say undervalued because it is now trading at $500, but it's definitely like a, an underdog coin, in my opinion. I'm assuming the other coins that you potentially get from staking that will all be on, on the Binance smart chain or whatever, BSC, whatever they call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So I think one I of those, think, go ahead, go ahead. I think sorry. 
one today, the one this period, I believe is like TLM or something. I know nothing about the project, but I just saw the ticker. Right. And obviously free tokens, um, they're going to be worth something. So, so anything is better than nothing. And it obviously helps uh, if the, the price of BNB keeps going up because then it's kind of a, a double whammy and you're getting both there. Um, I think that's a great transition to, to your next altcoin because I believe Bake is also on the Binance Smart Chain and it is a kind of Binance Insider largely held, held coin. Uh, what is Bake? Paramount vets, but it's uh it's the same way it's the same thing with pancake swap so bakery swap is a it's a dex so it's a decentralized exchange as well as it's an amm which is the automated market maker so what that means is that um if anybody's familiar necessarily uh with uniswap where uniswap doesn't actually have just one entity owning the the exchange or anybody running the exchange it's more um it's based on like i think a voting system if you know if i'm if i'm yeah if i'm correct yeah so um bake works in the same way so um, there, nobody owns it. It's made entirely decentralized and it runs on its own. But the reason I, there's a couple reasons I, I chose Bake. Um, I, I saw on the chart that it, it rocketed to $3 on the day it dropped on Binance and it had just steadily declined um, for a super long time. And it was it was forming forming a really nice chart pattern that I saw value in. And then as well as um, I was, when I was doing my research, I noticed that Bake started to introduce NFTs and I'm sure, as everybody knows, NFTs are becoming kind of like the, the next boom, the next big thing right now. So I was like, you know what? Um, if they're, it's a it's a newer project. It's only like a couple couple months old. Um, they're starting to introduce NFTs. Um, it could follow. And then I compared it to what the the price of Uniswap was, and it, the price of Uniswap was at a dollar at one point. And now it trades at I think twenty or maybe even thirty dollars a US a, a, a token. So I was like, even if it was to go to one fifth of this. I would still be uh, going back to making profit off of crypto. I, I would still be up more from my original investment. So, um, and I think the best part for me personally about Bake is that I, I stake it. So I get 16% uh, APY on fixed term staking. So I stake it either for 30 or 60 days. And right now it looks like I might be staking it for a, a lot longer than I, I anticipated just due to market conditions. But that, that's not really that's not really a problem. I'm really fond of the idea of staking i really i really like it it's one of the things about crypto that really uh i don't know makes me enjoy the space even more because you know um not to sound like a preacher but you're putting your money in a savings account and you only make uh you know a few x percentage on you know annually and then you know you can stake this random altcoin that ha is a project and it has a actual like the actual use case and you can earn more of it. It just it kind of blows my mind. So that's what uh, it's another reason why I love crypto. And it's also another reason why uh, I'm a big fan of bake. Yeah, it's actually a very interesting point in terms of staking. And it's funny because a lot of these, uh, I guess, exchanges that allow you to stake, well, actually, the highest percentage APY that you're going to get is actually generally a stable coin, whether it's USDC or USDT. Um, you're, you're generally getting a pretty high percentage when you're staking uh, a stable coin tied to the US dollar, which is hilarious because um, it sits, as you said, it sits in your savings account at your local bank. And right now, interest rates are, are basically rock bottom. So you're getting literally nothing for it. Um, so it is a definitely interesting concept. Um, the last one you said was VeChain, which I think is, uh, is, has the ticker VET. Um, yeah. Do you want to explain a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, I'll just go into it quickly. So um, VeChain is a blockchain and it's a really cool idea. So um, VeChain is 
has kind of similarities to RSR, uh, but not really. Um, the only similarity being that the app. So um, let's say that we're in Walmart and we see a fish and we want to know where the fish was caught. We want to know when it was caught um, and what type of fish it is and all like the, the, the specific details that might be included with, you know, buying a fish. So there's a QR code on the fish. You scan your phone. Then the, the QR code is connected to the, the VeChain blockchain. And when the, the fish was caught, all the information of the fish was uploaded to the blockchain. And that way, anybody who's purchasing the fish, they can scan the QR code, they can look at the blockchain, and they can see the information listed about that certain project, um, or not project, the product, sorry, um, which is, would be the fish. So that's like a really cool thing about VeChain is that it's a, it's a blockchain for different companies. And they have, they have currently it's only in China. So it's a, it's a Chinese project, but they're partnered with Walmart China. They're partnered with DHL. Um, they're partnered with Renault, bunch of different companies. And it, I think it's, it's a really good idea. And it kind of, um, it ties it back to um, just knowing what you're buying. And I think a lot of people value that. Um, just going back with the fish example, like um, if you, want to scan the QR code because you're skeptical about something, seeing the information is just another um, reason or another idea as to why you might buy it. So I just feel like it adds a lot of value because not only can Walmart, for example, keep track of their inventory a lot easier, but also consumers um, like us can also find out more about the product than what we're buying, which I think, which is, which I think is great. Uh, and I 100% agree with that. And I think that's very cool. Um, working in a business that re relies a lot on supply chain um, yeah. and the lack of transparency sometimes in terms of, okay, well, um, the ship is taken off from, from China, uh, the ocean vessel, and you've got a container on there and not really knowing um, where that container is exactly and how long it's going to take. And, and you've got a rough estimate along the way, as well as not really knowing what the conditions of, uh, of that product going through um, the different various places in the world. Um, obviously, it's not as much of a factor for something that um, that isn't edible or whatever. But I think one of the examples I read was, say, for example, if you had bananas being shipped from one place to another, um, knowing kind of the, uh, I guess, the temperature that they're being shipped in and, and different various um I guess data points would be absolutely fantastic and very crucial for a supply chain and would be very helpful um, for everybody in that process. So I, I do think that there's a lot of potential in that project. Um, the sad part is these projects like this and like reserve don't get as much attention because they're not very memeable. Um, there aren't, <laughs> it's very hard to make a meme on it and it's not going to 10 X over one day. Um, so they don't get as much uh, attention and love. Um, but I do yeah. think in, in three to five years, uh, the cream is going to rise to the top and we're going to see a lot of these projects with legitimate real life use cases um, go to the very top. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, okay, so in terms of the four that, that you mentioned there, so you've got XRP, BNB, Bake, and uh, VET. Uh, what yeah. are your short-term price predictions for each, just real quickly? Yeah, yeah. Um, so XRP, I have it at least breaking all-time high. So it's all-time high. It's like, I think like $3 or something. So right now it's only at a dollar. So I definitely am expecting that one to go up still. Um, especially, um, we didn't really touch on it, but the XRP still has that uh, SEC lawsuit going on. So um, they're also delisted from a bunch of major exchanges, including Binance US. So I think with those two catalysts, if they only get slapped with a fine and they get relisted on exchanges, I think that's going to be a huge push of buying um, power. 
uh, for the token. So I'm really optimistic for that one. Um, for BNB, honestly, it, it sounds far fetched, but I, I could easily see BNB adding a thousand eventually. And that basically just stems from um, more users on Binance. I think crypto, um, I read a stat the other day on Statista that um, only 10% of people in America own crypto. And I think the percentage is just slightly bigger that even know about crypto. So um, like you said early on in the podcast, we are very early. And so I think buy, buying and holding is the most profitable strategy. So I think, uh, yeah, $1,000 price target for PNB. Um, VeChain, I had, I, we made a YouTube video about it when it was at six cents. And I think we put a price target up for it for, I think it was like 60 cents first and then a dollar afterwards. So once it, once it breaks 60 cents, it will go to a dollar. Um, VeChain runs in the same way, sort of like uh, RSR does with the RSV token. Uh, VeChain has a VThor token. So those ones work um, side by side as well. So it depends how much the VThor token is being used for the VeChain token to go up. So that's also another factor in the price. And then for Bake, I mean, I see Uniswap at $20 and I see Pank, uh, PancakeSwap at $20 as well. So um, if they can, um, my, my price target is about $7, but um, if, it, if it reaches five, I'll be happy with that. And I'll be sure to take some profit there. Awesome. Those are uh, four definitely great projects. Uh, some that I know more about than others, but I'll be sure to check those out. And, and I think you've made a great case for, uh, for, for all four of them. Uh, moving on to Paramount Bets uh, and, and the reason why I've got you on. Um, yeah. So maybe if you want to give a brief overview, what is Paramount Bets? Uh, why did you start it? And uh, where can I access it? Yeah, totally. Um, so Paramount Bets is a YouTube channel and it's become a brand that uh, myself and Shrey have started. And it's to um, start to, we found on, on the internet, there's a lot of uh, gurus, I would say who are like, hey, look at me, I make seven I make seven figures in a week and I'm amazing and I buy Bitcoin futures and I do this and that. And it's it's intimidating and it doesn't make sense and it's complex. And um, basically Shrey and I just set out with the goal of helping people better understand finance. And right now our channel has shifted towards a pro crypto mentality and that's solely just for the, the bull run of the crypto market. But we talk about, um, stocks we talk about crypto we talk about finance we'll start talking about real estate but basically our entire scope and purpose of the channel is just to help people understand complex things it's it's like making crypto less cryptic um i i heard that one place and i i that kind of stick stuck with me but that was pretty much our overall mission of the channel just to try and put complicated ideas into super simple sentences so people could understand them and I think so far we've been doing a pretty good job at uh, accomplishing that goal. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of the videos you guys do and uh, a lot of the Instagram posts that you guys have, uh, which we'll, we'll link both in the, uh, in the show notes here, um, I think are absolutely fantastic and great for beginners. Uh, how long does it take you to learn how to do the process? Did you have any background in terms of video editing and making videos or or, or kind of Instagram posts uh, and doing that graphic designing part of it? Uh, or is this something that you've had to learn along the way? Yeah, great question. Um, so uh, I would consider myself super creative. So ever since of high school, I was always playing around with different softwares, whether it was on the school Chromebook or my laptop or anything, just like trying to find different ways to create things. Because I don't know, I just always found that creating things on the computer was always super fun. So once I stumbled across the platform Canva, 
where you can uh, plug and play different elements. You can pretty much have full creative freedom. And uh, they have a really cool scheduling um, part to their software that lets you schedule your posts straight to Instagram from the platform. So that's really helpful. Um, as for video editing, basically, when I was a kid, I was always fascinated with stop motion movies. So what I would do is I would shoot um, stop motion Lego films and I would just do it on my iPad. And they were never that good, but they, they were never horrible. You could kind of get the idea out of them, which is what I was going for when I was a lot younger. But I think um, that idea of being able to create content and the only barrier being figuring out how to edit it. Um, I mean, that was just the one the one speed bump, the one mile, uh, the one thing getting in between me and my goal of creating the content. So all I did was just watch YouTube videos and figure out how to edit properly. And um, so far, it's going pretty well. My only uh, setback for sure is my uh, my technology. I definitely need to upgrade my computer at this point. Yeah, but that that'll come right. Um, and I think uh, majority of us tend to think that we want to make things perfect before we release content. Uh, but generally yep. what you're releasing in terms of content is more important than anything else. And, uh, and if you've got good content and good information and people learn a lot from it, it really isn't really relevant, uh, the quality of it. Um, and, and if you've got all the latest gadgets and, and all that stuff. So I think what you're doing cool. and what you and Shrey are both doing are, are is, is absolutely fantastic. And I think it's much needed in the space right now, especially as a lot more people flock towards crypto. Uh, yeah. The first thing they're introduced to is generally price targets uh, without really knowing what they're investing in. And that generally gets a lot of people in trouble, as we've seen kind of actually with the recent Dogecoin stuff, people buying in thinking, OK, well, Doge Day 420 or whatever um, is going to go up. And, and I think it's about. 50% of the price that it was like a day before um, Doge Day. So people who are buying yeah. in without any knowledge of any of these things are, are getting themselves into a lot of trouble. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for people like you to educate uh, others out there. And it's actually really great because um, that's something that Nevin and the team has pushed a lot in terms of how us in the community can help other people. Um, and he kind of frames it obviously around the, the reserve project. But I think even for us early crypto adopters, and I still... Um, as, as you had mentioned, only like 10% of people in the United States own crypto. I still think we're very early. Us early adopters, what we can do to help the crypto space is to is to make a lot of beginner um, material, a lot of beginner content uh, to help those who aren't currently in the space understand. And I, and I think a lot of people are starting to do that. Um, and one name that comes to mind is, is Gary Vaynerchuk. And he's been kind of pushing this crypto project that he's going to launch on May 5th. But before that, he's kind of done this process of letting people know, okay, well, this is what a MetaMask wallet is. This is what Ethereum is. This is what an NFT is. And doing kind of how-to guides. He's got he's got a blog post on a how-to uh, start your own MetaMask wallet and add Ethereum to it so that you can buy NFT projects. And then he goes into what are NFTs and all that fun stuff. Um, but that obviously helps convert a lot of people into the space. And I think what you're doing is, is along those same lines. So I think that's very awesome. Um, in terms of uh, what you do to... Uh, figure out what you're going to talk about in these um in these posts and these videos how do you find some of the coins that you do and and what is the barrier to entry in terms of okay well this coin is not good enough for me to put on my channel or uh, i'm going to do something with this coin yeah uh, great questions so what um me and Trey kind of go through a process so um basically we always me and Trey talk almost every day um, ever since starting this channel, we have seemingly our communication has picked up a lot more. But um, 
we're always looking and we're always, I, I don't want to say we're always trading or anything because it, that sounds unhealthy, but I mean, especially being at home, you know, you're all, it, it doesn't take long to just open the Binance app and check what the market's looking at. Um, I think it involves a lot of things. First of first of which is um, the people that we listen to. So obviously um, me and Shrey in the position that we're in, we're by no means experts. We're obviously um, experienced and understand what's going on, but we're no, no means an expert. So we're still learning every day and we still le- learn from people who have been in this space um, before us. Um, a couple of those people um, being on YouTube, a couple more of those people being on Twitter and so forth. But we get our, um, we basically, we find coins and then we talk about it and then we kind of analyze the pros and cons to it. Um, that means, you know, analyzing the supply, analyzing the price, um, analyzing what their roadmap is. Um, is, do they have any hype going around them? Is it, you know, what are the market, what's the market like in general and things like that. And I feel like that, those, um, when you when you when you time a good project with momentum play, that's a, that's that's the best time to um, buy a coin. That's what we found especially. But in terms of us finding new tokens, it's honestly just a a, a, a mix of me and Shrey um, going through different resources and scrolling through different pages of crypto tokens and just reading. That's pretty much all we can pin it to. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and that's actually along the same lines that my cousin goes and and tries to find these new projects as he hears about them. Uh, I'd say probably like ninety percent of them from me, uh, but he really reads the white papers for each of these projects, which I've actually been guilty of not doing uh, a lot recently. Um, but that's how you learn and and how you're able to uh, assess coins faster in the future, right? You you read these uh, white papers of these current ones that you're looking at. And then that helps you with a baseline understanding uh, so that later on, when you do hear about future projects, you're able to identify um, the good ones from the bad ones immediately and then kind of do more research into those. So um, it also gives you uh, a different perspective on on the finance space and and learning about these new technologies, which is I think is very cool. And, And some of the potential of what this world may look like with blockchain integrated into it 10 years, 20 years down the line, um, which is going to be very, very, very exciting. Uh, in terms of your goals for this, uh, do you and Shrey have some type of long-term projection of where you see Paramount bets uh, in terms of what you guys want to do with it in the future? Yeah, totally. So um, we have, uh, actually just before, before I touch on that point, what I do want to just quickly say was it's in addition to the altcoins and it's for anybody listening. Um, anybody listening, really um, have a look at DeFi. Uh, DeFi is a super undervalued sector that I'm researching currently. And I really think that there's value to be made. Um, you can look at the, the DeFi index and uh, follow it. And right now it's down with the entire market. But um, DeFi coins haven't had their run yet. And that was one thing I didn't say in my altcoin uh, spiel is that I didn't really talk about any coins from DeFi. But uh, DeFi is definitely going to have its turn in the running rally. And I think when it does, it'll be um, really insane. And those coins involve, you know, uh, Chainlink, Dia, uh, I don't want to shell Reef, but I think Reef is a DeFi coin. It has a lot, it has a complicated history, but just like, like a couple of those coins. And then also just looking into what DeFi is in general. I really think that's uh, a really profitable and interesting sector um, coming up in the crypto space, uh, if not this year, maybe next year. Um, but going back to the long-term um, view for Paramount Bets, um, basically Shrey and I wanted to just create something that would help other people. And basically it's kind of catapulted, snowballed into uh, what we might shift and start to do is just um, either um, online 
digital um, plan making, whether that means like we can like help subscribers or followers um, set up their own plan or helping them, you know, stay on track of whether they're crypto or financial goals. Um, Shrey and I aren't um, certified financial analysts by any means or anything like that. But um, we believe that setting up an Excel spreadsheet for somebody to track their PL or anything like that, I personally don't think you need to be fully certified for that as long as you know what the Excel functions do and what you're explaining properly, you know, to the full extent, then um, I think you're more than qualified to talk about it. Um, as for myself, um, I, I was the one who came up with the idea and really approached Shrey and I really value Shrey's knowledge because as I said, uh, Shrey was one of the first people to introduce me to the space, but um, what I would really like to do down the road is um, kind of transition Paramount Bets into and also like a, a, a kind of like a, an entire brand umbrella, which allows us to do like digital marketing as well. Um, that's something that's super, as I previously mentioned, uh, fascinates me and, you know, kind of in, uh, drives me to be better each day. And so I think that would uh, shifting it from kind of a um, brand to um, business umbrella. I think that's kind of our long term goal for the channel. That's, that's really cool. And that's very ambitious. And I think a lot of what you're doing right now is in line with, uh, with marketing and, and some of what you're studying at school. So it's pretty cool to uh, be able to use a, a real life use case and, and kind of test out probably some of the things you're learning in school. And at the same time, making money off of these, uh, off of these tokens, which obviously helps yeah. uh, in, a, in a multitude of different ways. Um, I, I think, I think it's very cool that, that you're wanting to uh, help beginners with some of these uh, resources. Uh, and, and you're right, some a lot of these things don't really require you to be a certified financial planner or have any type of license or background. Obviously, those of you guys listening understand that none of this stuff here that we're talking about is financial advice. And please do your own research before you do invest in a lot of these things. But putting a simple PL chart together uh, so that you're able to track progress um, and even certain other things like budgeting, right? In order uh, budgeting your daily life so that you are able to have some type of disposable income to then invest in some of these projects uh, is always uh, a place that a lot of people struggle with uh, as a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and don't really have that little bit of income to invest, let alone invest in what they see to be very, very risky um, things. Um, I think it's very important and I think it's a very noble and, and good cause that you guys have. And, and I think you, some of the content you guys uh, produce is absolutely amazing. Um, and again, it's uh, Instagram, it's Paramount Bets, P-A-R-A-M-O-U-N-T, not Paramount, Paramount Bets. And then the same thing on, on YouTube uh, and you'll be able to find their channel. Um, both great guys uh, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun watching your guys' content. And I'm learning a lot of, uh, of stuff about these coins because Obviously, there's a lot of people like me who is having a hard time catching up with with all the new tokens out there. So um, anytime uh, I can watch a YouTube video that's not too long, that that helps explain the gist of it is a lot better and saves me a lot more time than reading a white paper that may be 30, 40 pages and may take me yeah. a full day or, or a whole weekend to read. So and a lot of it may not make sense because it might read like Shakespeare and I got to think about these things. But yeah, so simplified is obviously a lot better. Um, anything else you want to touch on for Paramount Bets before we move on? Uh, no, I think, that's, I think that's everything. Awesome. Uh, so yeah. I guess uh, this is kind of the end of the podcast and, and, to, and to wrap things up. Um, I did hit you with two ending questions. Um, so hopefully you're prepared to, to answer them. But I asked this yeah. for, for all of my guests. Uh, the best piece of advice you've ever received and the best book you've ever read. So maybe if we start with the best book you've ever read. Yeah. Um, so the best book I ever read was over this quarantine. It was called uh, Crypto Assets, the Innovator uh, Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. 
So that was just a book um, just in company, encompassing the entire uh, digital space. And it, it, it dives into why Bitcoin is uh, what it is, the why, the what, and the how. And then it also discusses um, other types of uh, protocols and projects. And just it's just like the ideal beginner guide to crypto. So that was a really good book of mine. How did you and, find it? Uh, I found it on Amazon, funny enough. I, I think I saw it on like a, I, I Googled it, um, best crypto uh, learning resources. And it was like one of the first books to come up. And then I saw it was an Amazon link, clicked on it, saw the reviews, nothing but five stars. I was like classic. Uh, and then <laughs> dropped it in the, the Amazon Prime uh, shipping. And then, uh, yeah, it showed up shortly. And yeah, it was, it was a really good read. Awesome. Uh, what's the book again for those uh, who don't want to re? Yeah. Uh, I guess rewind. No worries. Yeah, it's Crypto Assets: The Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. Awesome. Uh, I'll have to check that out too. I've never actually heard of the book. Obviously, uh, there are more common ones out there that that we all hear about, like the Bitcoin Standard and, and some of those other books. Yeah. But but definitely, uh, I'll definitely be checking this out after after this podcast. Um, okay, uh, moving on. Second one with regards to the best piece of advice you've ever received. Sure. Um, and I, 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 I received a lot of good pieces of advice already and I'm only 18, but, um, I kind of put it into one quote and it's, um, by this guy named Andrew Carnegie. And it, uh, it kind of has described my crypto experience. Um, I, I remember it was Warren Buffett who said people who diversify a lot are the same people who don't really know what they're doing. So uh, that's where it also is another factor. But the quote is put all your good eggs in one basket and watch that basket. And a lot of traditional investors don't agree with that. And uh, myself personally, I have to disagree. I, I really follow that. And I, I think it um, when you when you find a project, especially like um, yourself, Mike, with RSR, and it has a lot of value, you want to. Um, kind of bet on it, honestly, um, when, when, when the odds are in your favor and you're prepared to, you know, face whatever outcome is coming. Um, but you believe in the project like RSR and the same with myself with XRP. Uh, I really think that there's no harm in putting your eggs in one basket. And that's, that's just a quote that kind of motivates me and keeps me going, to be honest, uh, just kind of when anytime that my mind drifts off from my path or, uh, when I get less motivated or undetermined, um, I kind of just think back to why I'm doing everything and what, what it is that I'm doing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and especially, I think that's a very great uh, piece of advice for the crypto space as well. Um, I mean, as we did this podcast, we've named off probably over 10 different coins that you can invest in. Um, and, and obviously there's a limitless number of, of cool, exciting projects out there right now. Uh, but it's very important for, for us to do the research and to figure out some of the main ones that we that we like and, and to go in on those uh, and not necessarily spread yourself out too thin because you're going to have a hard time tracking where a lot of these tokens are because they're not all offered on every exchange and you're going to be losing money because you can't remember token or wallet passwords or, or different exchange passwords. Uh, so I think it's very important, like you mentioned, uh, do some of your research. It's okay to, uh, to sprinkle a little bit of money into, into some, some of the smaller projects. But find, I'd say, probably like three to five that you really believe in, and and to and to go all in on those, and and to and to 
uh, be passionate about them, spread the word, uh, make content about it, tell, tell people, you know, and, and to really dive deep into that project and to fully invest yourself into it. And you'll see a much better return than if you kind of spread yourself too thin because diversifying that way and spreading yourself too thin and investing in 30, 40 crypto projects at the same time also means that chances are you've invested in 20 of them that are just absolute garbage, but you just never took the time to research it and realize they were garbage. So diversification, while it does limit the downside of, of your potential loss in your investment, also generally uh, has a lot of, of, uh, of potential for you to, uh, to waste a lot of money investing in stuff that, that isn't actually that great. So uh, that is an absolutely great piece of advice. And I think we're going to end the podcast on that. Anything else you want to say or promote to, to the RSR Rangers out there listening? Uh, no, just hold strong and 30 cents will come sooner than later. And I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity, Mike. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Awesome. Yeah, th- th- thanks for coming on. And at some point, we got to have uh, have you and Shrey on at the same time. I've never actually had a chance to meet Shrey or talk to Shrey before. Um, yeah. But but if he's just as like-minded and, and just as mature as you are, um, I think it'll be an absolutely fantastic conversation. And I'm very excited as well as hopefully a lot of my listeners are um, to follow along with Paramount Bets and to see you guys grow and, and mature and start making absolutely better and better and better content. Um, and I'm very excited to see where, where you guys end up a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. So uh, I'm very excited. Uh, and, and it's a really cool part uh, of coaching uh, is to be able to keep in touch with a lot of the, the kids that I coach and, and to see them uh, be successful and to start to figure out what, what it is they want to do with their life and what it is that interests them. Um, and, and to spread their wings and, 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 and go and attack some of these projects, which is very cool. And, and I'm very excited uh, to see you grow in the future. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, uh, that's really kind. And I really appreciate that. And I, I look forward to uh, seeing where this podcast grows. And I'm sure I'll be back, hopefully, if, uh, if, if this episode turns out well. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening out there. And uh, we will see you all on the next episode. First, a word from our sponsors, Recursive and Joe and Kit. Recursive connects applications so your critical data is available exactly where you need it. They can sync any apps in the cloud or hosted on your site, making your data more useful and visible to your teams. Visit recursive.com for more details. That's R-E-C-U-R-S-Y-V.com, Recursive. Data where you want it. Mention the podcast or RSR for 20% off your subscription. Also, if you're an entrepreneur or small business looking to outsource your bookkeeping or need help understanding your financial situation, Joe and Kit has just the solution for you. They provide a wide range of services from bookkeeping to tax advice for businesses and crypto to financial analysis to implementing business operating systems such as EOS and Lean Six Sigma. Visit joeandkit.com today. J-O-E-A-N-D-K-I-T dot com and mention the podcast for your first month free. I hope you're able to get lots of value from this podcast. And as always, if you're interested in reaching out to me, you can contact me on Twitter at my personal account at RSR Ernie or the podcast account at InReservePod. And if you don't have Twitter, you can shoot me an email at InReservePodcast at gmail.com or feel free to join our RSR Rangers Discord channel uh, in the invite link attached in the show notes below. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you on the next podcast.